This show is for every woman who has accepted pain and discomfort as inherent to being a woman or has denied any part of themselves to make it or feel accepted. Women of reproductive age have been left out of a lot of research because our bodies and our hormones are considered too complicated. What is worse is this idea trickles down into education, leaving most women with very little information about how their bodies work. Not only are we not taught how our bodies work, but once you start asking questions, it is surprisingly difficult to find answers. I believe that every woman deserves to know how her body works, to recognize when symptoms arise, and to feel confident in her inner voice. Because the pain, the mood swings, and the hormones are not your problem. They are your body's messengers. So I'm here to confront and change narratives around being a woman, being hormonal, and yes, PMSing. I'm your host, Brianna Viegas, and welcome to My Hormone Rants. Today's guest is really special to me. His name is Dan. He's my husband of almost 10 years now, and he's joining me to rehash some of the key conversations we've had over the years and some that are ongoing as we've both been figuring out how to live with PMDD. I'm actually going to be breaking up this episode into two parts because we ended up talking for about an hour and the conversation was just really rich and so I want to include everything but not overwhelm you in one session. Today's episode is going to focus more on sort of our process in learning to live with PMDD, how we navigated that, the coping mechanisms we developed, both protective and... And then part two next week, we'll be focusing more on what now, now that I've seen this transformation and change and my symptoms, how are we navigating that moving forward? Hey, babe. Thanks for doing this with me. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. What I wanted to jump into today is kind of a retrospect on the past almost 10 years as it relates to the hormone issues that I've experienced and just the way that we've kind of talked about it across the years and navigated that. And this year in particular has been a big turning point in that process. One, just in my experience of my symptoms as I have gotten them a lot more under control. And then by an extension of that, your experience has also improved and and changed as well. But that's also given us some perspective on especially the early years of our marriage and having some of that distance and has allowed us to talk about it, I think, in a more concrete way. One way in particular is that we have been able to name a lot of those interactions that we had in the early years, like when I was in the depths of PMDD as abusive behavior. So I wanted to start there and kind of ask you how you interpreted those interactions at the time. When we first were married, I, I unfortunately thought that was that was completely normal. That that is what uh, marriage was like. That's how relationships were. Growing up, I saw the woman in my life going through very similar things. You know, mood swings, pain around their menstrual cycle. So I just assumed that was normal and figured this was like okay, this is something that I'm supposed to live with. That this is what that all men live with because they're married to women who go through this probably one of the reasons that we made it through that time is the fact that you did just think like this would be the same with anyone else too. I was sort of in between where I'm like, how can this be normal? Or how can I be coping with it so much worse than every woman that I see? But at the same time, for me, that had been my experience for my very first period. So like, I didn't know any different. And I also sort of assumed like, well, this is just what I have to deal with. 
but it felt so out of control. And so I remember those times of lashing out or picking fights or saying hurtful things and genuinely being like, I can hear this happening. I don't like what I'm saying. I don't know why I'm saying it, but I can't stop it. I don't know how to shift the pattern that we're in. How did you feel when those things happened? Uh, First and foremost, I always felt like I was the one causing either the anger or the sadness because that's exactly what it looked like. I would either say something or do something and I could immediately see a negative reaction in your face you know, or verbally you ex- expressing that. So one, I felt responsible for causing it. And, and two, I then felt responsible for trying to fix it, you know, always trying to solve the problem. So something would happen and I'd be like, okay, how can I fix this? And that's, that's really what I was trying to do, which, you know, in man, many times that made it worse. What you're talking about of like the solve it approach is the only tool men have. This is how they're taught to deal with problems. I think there's also an element there for understanding and, and respecting that like that's the tool that you have. And so this is your way of showing empathy and caring in that situation, even though that can feel like you're just trying to tell me what to do or you're trying to dismiss my experience by moving so quickly to like, well, why don't you just do this instead of sitting in the moment? Right. And that's just so opposite to how my brain in particular works, where if I'm feeling you know sad or angry about something, I very quickly need to figure out what's causing that and how to change it. And I can move on that immediately because that's what I do for myself. That's what I would try to do for you. And just understanding that idea of like for you, an anger at a situation is anger at a situation because your response are going to be the same. The same things are going to make you mad. But, you know, you've noticed this where, like, you mentioned with the joke or saying something, one time it would be fine and another time it's not. That lack of understanding on your part, but also for me at the time, like, I had no idea why I was responding differently to a comment or a joke one day versus another. And so then it's hard to get to a logical cause. And I think that's really the problem. It's not that women aren't looking for solutions. It's just that it doesn't feel like a logical problem. Solving it isn't that straightforward. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, my experience was, was taking on a lot of that personally. If you make someone angry, like you feel bad about that, especially someone you love. So I constantly was taking on this burden of making you feel bad and that it was my fault. And that was, you know, I started to build up. Like I constantly felt like I was causing you pain or anger or sadness and at a personal level, like this is me, this is my fault. Think about it, like you constantly bringing down someone you love Like, that starts to make you feel terrible. I would say that my experience of it was kind of similar. I mean, obviously, I was the one saying the things. I would carry all this guilt around the things that I said and how I was treating you. And so it's interesting that we were both sort of in the same pattern of, like, carrying guilt over things that really, it's not like there was a lot of control over that situation. Another thing that would come up, I felt that I was the one who had kind of taken on the role of I'm going to bring anything up that could be an issue in our relationship just to like talk about things and address things but that also left me feeling a lot of times like I was always criticizing you and I didn't want that to be the pattern and so I'd also ask you like you need to also give me feedback on things so it's not always this one-sided of like here's a way that you can like help me but also like how can I help you but you've also mentioned that that was a nice idea (laughs) but that you kind of had challenges with doing that. Yeah, there was many times where you'd bring something up. I'd want to bring stuff up. And it felt like, although there were times where I could bring things up, maybe 90% of the time, 
it would end up not going well. So we would either get in a fight about it where it wasn't, it wasn't a useful conversation because we just got angry or mad or, you know, nothing happened there. So it started to shift in my head where I'm like, okay, like, I guess I can't bring this up right now. Like she, she's not going to be able to take this and we're not going to have a, be able to have a real conversation about this right now. So I'm going to have to bring this up later. I always wanted to keep the peace. And for me, what that meant is I would go to sleep and I would wake up and totally forget what the issue was. And then I would never bring it up. That was obviously not healthy, but that's kind of what it looked like in practice. I want to ask you more about that because, you know, you're talking about feeling very responsible for my emotions and taking those on personally, but also feeling like you can't say anything because it might be an outburst. And so how did you handle that? What did you do with all of those feelings and, and experiences. Yeah, so this I remember very well. One day at work, and this was like, I think our first year of marriage. Maybe maybe we just made it into the second year. And, and I read an article about how your partner's mood affects you. And I remember coming home and like showing you the article. We talked about it. And it was basically me telling you like, hey, Brie, you need to be more positive. Like you're bringing me down. And I, I can imagine that I, I said it in the worst possible way. But in reading that article, it, it helped me realize a couple things that I mean, it is something that needed to be said because it was happening, but it also made me realize that I needed to start like protecting myself and coping with what was going on. So I think I started to put up a lot of walls. So, you know, for example, if we were just hanging out one night and something was said or done that very quickly changed the mood, I learned to put up a wall where I would no longer feel anything, you know, from you or to you. I kind of disassociated myself from any uh, anything that was going on. It was difficult to start, but then it started to get easier the more it happened. So there was just all these walls being put up of like, anytime she feels something, I just ignore her. I, you know, I put up that wall to like not see her. And, and I remember in my head, it was like, all right, she's, she's starting again. Just go do your own thing. And, you know, when you wake up in the morning, everything will be fine. And that, that for me, that worked, it like helped protect me so that I didn't take everything so personally. Like I said earlier, I was feeling like it was all my fault taking that on. And by being able to cope this way, I, I just, I didn't have to. I believe that cycle syncing is so much more than fixing your period. Yes, syncing your diet, syncing your exercise, and giving your body the support it needs can do so much for your physical health and your physical experience of being a woman. But I believe that this method is about living and tapping into your full cyclical nature and the strengths and the power that come from acknowledging that side of ourselves. If you want to step into that uniquely female way of living, I'd love for you to join me in the first round of my Cycle Syncing 101 mini course that will give you access to self-paced videos as well as live Q&A coaching with me. If you want to learn more, I will be posting all the information you need in the show notes later today. But if you just can't wait, come join me on Instagram this afternoon at Brianna Villegas Coaching, where I'll be going live to share all the details of what's included and the transformation you can expect. I hope to see you there. I really remember that conversation, too, because you brought it up in the hot tub of the apartment building we were living at in Chicago at the time and telling me that I was too negative and that you had read this article that people can decide to be more positive, basically. (laughs) Obviously, it upset me. It wasn't because you were telling me, like, my mood is being affected by yours. Like, the part that upset me about it was, like, you're like, you know, all of you be different. And I remember asking, but how? Or like, yeah, but you're so happy. 
our baseline was so different that it's like, what am I even trying to achieve? And so it wasn't actually anything tangible. It was just like, why don't you just choose to be happier? But one thing that you did do that was really good in that conversation and helped me to hear what you were saying was that you talked about it from like the place of an I statement. I remember specifically you saying like, when you're this way, I feel like more depressed. And using that I feel language versus like you are making me this way allowed me to hear that like that was a real experience for you. And as hard as that was to hear, especially that like my behavior was affecting you in that way, it it made an impact. And so I started to think about like, what can I do about that? And at the time, I didn't know how to address like my negative state of being or, you know, the depression and anxiety and like all the negativity that I experienced. And so the way that I started to cope with that was bottle it up, share it less. And that's what really led to the, okay, when it's a bad day, I'll tell you it's a bad day and we can watch a movie or we can read separately, but together so that there could still be some preservation of like connection without actually interacting and communicating. I think at that time we were making these really protective choices in terms of protecting ourselves individually but like protecting our relationship so more damage wasn't done at the time we weren't thinking about it as not being normal but we were on a path to at best be roommates if not to you know get divorced at some point because you were shutting off and I was holding everything in and so there was no like actual connection happening there And again, that was half the month. Half the month, like, it was great, and we'd have real conversations, and, like, all of that was good, but that was still, like, half of our lives that we weren't really, you know, leaning into. Yeah, and I think that was part of, like you said, part of the coping where half the month, I wouldn't ask you any questions. I wouldn't ask you to do anything around the house. I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't ask anything of you because it it didn't seem like you could take anything on. And, you know, speaking of like the possibility of divorce or something, I remember thinking that at one point, like, is this really what it would be like with, you know, other women? I I see these people in the workplace or at church or, you know, other friends. And I remember thinking like, they're not like this. And, you know, I also then very quickly realized like, well, I'm also not seeing them at their, at their most vulnerable state. You know, I'm seeing them at their best, especially in the workplace everyone's putting their best face on they're putting on their best mood even when they're angry and kind of quickly realizing like I can't compare Brie to any other woman I know because I don't know any other woman in my life in the same at the same level that I know Brie like I know her you know 24/7 I'm seeing her when she's happy when she's at her her, her most sad I very quickly stopped comparing you to anyone else because that really wasn't fair Yeah, I think that's so powerful. So fast forward a little bit, and I learned about PMDD, got that diagnosis. Did that change anything for you? Yeah, I think one of the main things was that it kind of validated some of the coping mechanisms I had been doing, you know, kind of separating myself from the situation at times. It felt like it wasn't the best thing to do, but it was the only way I knew to protect myself and, you know, not to not, like, keep building that resentment towards you or anger towards you, the best way was to just stop feeling. Um, so it kind of validated that a little bit. And it really helped me understand that you weren't necessarily mad at me or the thing that I did, which is what I always thought and always assumed. 
it was something else entirely, but it wasn't me. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my doing. So I remember realizing that and almost feeling like this huge sense of relief of, okay, like this isn't me. There isn't anything I can do about this. It was, it was more of, this is something you're going to feel. And sure, it might look like she's mad at me, but it, it isn't me. It wasn't something I did. So that helped me a lot. The biggest benefit to me from you knowing was I think this gave us this understanding that what I was experiencing was a chronic illness. Like this wasn't just like me being crazy or hormonal or or just being negative. Like it was a chronic illness. And I think that shifted the perspective a little bit. And I think that's really valuable, even if for, you know, run of the mill hormone imbalances, this is chronic illness, right? This is ways that bodies are not functioning optimally and it's happening cyclically. It's happening every month. And another thing was, you know, giving us the language to talk about it. I think right off the bat, like, you know, if we were, we're randomly doing something at home and I turn around and I see that you're crying you you literally had the word to say like Dan this isn't something you did and like you know you could keep on crying and it sounds like it's all about me but like in that moment I knew okay okay whew, it wasn't something I did we can I, I can kind of keep going about my day and understand this is just something that she's gonna have to process and you know I learned things that could help later on but at least right off the bat knowing that it wasn't mean in being able to hear you say the words, Dan, this isn't something you did or said. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that was language we needed to learn to be able to start understanding that this was this was different. But again, yeah, it was that language and being able to kind of just say like, okay, I'm having a moment. And it also took pressure off of me to like have to explain it. Because I think before that would become a thing of like you being like, okay, like what did I say? What did I do? Or, Or I would just be like, well this was the trigger. This is the thing that set me off. So like, that must be the problem. And like, let's talk about that trigger. But that's what led to conversations that weren't that productive because yes, even though that one statement was a trigger in that moment, that really wasn't the issue. It was right. It was like all of this underlying shifts in my hormones that were making me respond and perceive things differently than I normally would. Another another story, which you might not want to keep in the podcast, but it's just funny regardless, is I remember, you know, you'd go to sleep crying and for a long time you'd try to like hide the crying, be shaking the bed with like trying to hold the tears in you know, for a very long time. And, you know, I'm a very quick sleeper. I'm, I'm asleep in like a minute or two. And when you would be holding in your cry or trying to hold in your cries, like they still come out, but like. I, I remember being annoyed. I'm like, oh my gosh, like she's keeping me awake. <laughs> and then finally, after you know all this stuff, it was like, Bree, it's like just just cry. You can just let it out. It's fine. And like it was almost always easier to sleep when you were just for real crying. <laughs> well, I wish you had told me that years ago because I was trying not to cry out loud because I was trying not to keep you awake. <laughs> all right there, you go. Bad, more bad communication. <laughs> yeah, the crying was a big one because I just I was also you know, told that, like, almost taught not to cry, right? Like, you're tough, you shake it off, whatever. And so when I would feel the, just be in this moment where, like, my body just wanted, was crying and I couldn't stop it, there was definitely identity things there, too, for me of this isn't what, like, a strong person does. 
And so I would try and hold that in. And things that helped with that was like learning that crying is a way that the body alleviates stress. Like this is an outlet. And so holding that in was also doing more damage to me than if I was like fully letting it out as well. Because my body was like trying to get all of that like negative energy and and stuff that I'd been bottling up for so long because we weren't talking about it because I didn't want to affect your mood. And but it had nowhere else to go. And so I think that is what led to a lot of that like need to cry as well and learning to actually use that as your body's way of like releasing it and giving into that because I also felt so much better after a good cry versus trying to hold it in trying to hold it in was so draining and exhausting and I would like I would literally wake up feeling exhausted after those nights versus the nights where I just like let it out and then like I would go to sleep and felt like I reset the next morning I think a disclaimer that needs to be made is that like your PMDD got paired up with like the worst man because (laughs) you know I think I have lots of natural energy you know I wake up and I have I'm like ready to go 6 a.m like I can I can go work out immediately Um, I'm always happy or at least content Um, you know I just you know I always have energy always ready to go always want to like have a good laugh or whatever so I think that in particular made everything worse because you're comparing everything you do, everything you feel to me, which is, I would say, not the normal. Like you're comparing your energy levels to my energy levels. You're comparing like my mood to your mood. Never even close. Yeah. And and part of that is like, I'm a high achiever. I'm a competitive person. So like set a goal for me or set like some example or bar for me. And it's now a personal challenge to try and reach that. Um, And Dan was kind of that bar for me of like look how like he's just constantly going he's constantly moving and so even when I think about me at my healthiest like our baseline energy levels our baseline moods and everything are already so different um but I will say one thing that didn't help with that is you used to talk about yourself as if you were normal and I was the one who was like so messed up um and while that was partially true with like the PMDD stuff was like extreme in terms of low fatigue and mood and all of those things, you also weren't the average. And I feel like that started to come up in various conversations with other people over the years where like the fact that you fall asleep instantly when your head hits the pillow or that you have this just ridiculous amount of energy, this started to make us realize like one, you're abnormally high energy. You're abnormally happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're not the average. And um, those things did start to help where it's like this isn't a fair comparison. And even at like the best version of myself, it's also okay for us to be different. It's okay for our energy and our like natural just inclinations to be different. That did help to further define like I was actually trying to work towards, you know, versus like comparing my me at my worst to you at your best and and that being, you know, the comparison that I had in my head. Thank you so much for listening. With all of the things that are competing for your attention, it really means the world to me that you choose to be here. If you want more great episodes like this one, subscribe on iTunes, follow on Spotify or wherever you listen. And if you want to learn more about me and how I can help you stop normalizing your symptoms and start optimizing your experience, head to briannavegas.com 
or find me on Instagram at Brianna Villegas Coaching. You've got this.